was a student of Esser, whose knowledge grew lesser and lesser. It at last grew so small, he knew nothing at all, so they made him a seminary professor. <laughs> it is a privilege uh, to be here with you. I've been in correspondence for the last several months, and I have been anticipating uh, what I have found, and that is uh, the welcoming love of God and the people of God with a heart for the nations of God. And especially in my world, a people that have a heart for church planting as a means of seeing God's kingdom come and glory brought to his name among all the peoples of the earth. So uh, we have a kindred spirit in the gospel. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but the History Channel has this new 10-hour mini-series uh, again tonight, I think this is uh, number three, called The Bible. And it has been a huge hit. Nielsen ratings have just been phenomenal. The premier telecast was seen by more viewers than any show on major broadcast networks. The producer said that one of the reasons he produced this miniseries is because of the rampant biblical illiteracy that he was seen globally, especially among the young. And if trends continue, demographers tell us that this mini-series on the Bible stories that is coming over the History Channel this evening will actually be seen by billions, not millions, of people worldwide. And I'm very glad to learn of the popularity of this mini-series, but here's my concern. If you were not familiar with the Bible, and this was the first and only time you watched this 10-week miniseries tonight, you would learn a few of the famous Bible stories, but you would miss what is called the story in the stories. You would miss how those stories are meant to fit together with all the other stories that happened before them and that will happen after them. If you just see tonight's stories, you will miss the greater unfolding story that begins in week one and then ends in week ten and that encompasses all the stories. But that's not my real concern. I have a much greater concern. Did you realize that you can know all of the stories of the Bible very well, and you can even master a knowledge of Christian doctrine and still not know the story in the stories? In other words, the one greater unfolding story of God's overarching purpose and his plan for the world. Most people don't know that. They think if they know the stories, and if they know doctrine, they know the overarching story that fits all the stories and all the doctrine together. 
And that's not necessarily true. You see, the reason it is so important for us to know well what I'm calling this story of the stories, this unfolding story of God's purpose and plan for the world, is because of this. Whether you realize it or not, your life is constantly being shaped by some story. The way you understand the purpose and the meaning of your life actually depends on your understanding of the human story. And in Western civilization, we are faced with two stories. The story of evolution and the story from the Judeo-Biblical worldview. And these stories shape our lives individually and corporately as a culture. This is why the only way for us to make any ultimate sense out of our stories individually is to understand how they fit into God's story revealed in the Bible. Now, although the Bible consists of a wide variety of literature, including laws and lyrics and prophecies and letters, at its core, the Bible is one huge unfolding story, one narrative with a beginning and with a middle and with an end. And God means for this story to so captivate you that you are drawn in the limited time you have left to draw breath, to find your place, to be drawn into its plot, to find the reason that you exist. People who know me well know that I am kind of a nutty professor. I get lost a lot. I get distracted in airports and I, I miss planes. I, 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 for, for years I haven't been able to find my car in the parking lot. I can't claim that I'm just two years away from 60. And everybody knows that after I'm in a shopping mall for a short while, I have no idea which way is north or south or east or west. And so, I'm an empty nester now, but when my daughters were teenagers, by the way, I should have a t-shirt that says, you can't scare me, I've had three teenage daughters at the same time. When they were teenagers, they would often take me to the mall, and they would wait for about ten minutes that we were walking around, say, okay, Dad, time to take us to the car. And I would have no idea where I was. I would have no idea where the car was until that glorious thing that I would stumble upon, that wonderful thing called the mall map. And it had three glorious words on it. You know what they are, don't you? Say them with me. You are here. That's all it took for me to find my place on the map. You see the parallel? In order for you to find your personal place in God's unfolding story, individually, in order for you 
as McLean Presbyterian Church to find your place in this plan corporately, you must first know where this story began, you must know where it is now, and ultimately where it's going. Now, your pastor said, I only had until 10.30, and the miniseries is supposed to take 10 weeks, and so you need to listen very quickly. The story has been called a divine drama that unfolds in several acts. Here's the way some scholars put it. Act number one. We find the story of creation's perfect harmony. The picture of ultimate happiness, everything you've always sought for, ultimate wholeness in the world and in humanity that God created, what in your bulletin is called shalom, what is ultimate happiness and wholeness. As divine image bearers, the Bible teaches us that Adam and Eve flourished in an almost unimaginable paradise on earth. But it was not a paradise simply because of the beauty of their physical surroundings, which so many people have thought over the years. It was a paradise because Adam and Eve were experiencing ultimate happiness in four particular relationships. Their relationship with God, their relationship with uh, with each other, their relationship to themselves, and their relationship vocationally. You see the, the type of work here. Their relationship with God's creation. All their gifts and vocational abilities were being used. It was ultimate happiness. Act two, we find the story of how this perfect world and humanity are horribly ruined by the fall of man into sin. You know the story. Evil enticed mankind, Adam and Eve. Evil entered this story through a very real villain. This is not mere metaphor. These are not fables. And this this villain was called Satan. And he hated this paradise. He hated this ultimate happiness. Not only did he hate this for people, but for all of creation. And paradise was lost. You can actually say, it almost sounds blasphemous, but biblically, you can actually say that there is a sense in which the kingdom was overthrown. Because the Bible uses terminology like this in 1 John 5. The whole world, the whole world is now under the control of the evil one. This is why things are not the way they're supposed to be. This is why there is suffering. This is why you experience pain. This is why there is so much brokenness in culture. But in Act 3, we find the story of how God graciously begins to restore His creation. Mankind and the world through Abraham, and through ancient Israel. That's where we are in the miniseries tonight. We're in Act 3. 
But Act 4, we find the story of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And the revelation of Jesus as the anointed one, as we'll see in just a moment, the Christ, the Messiah, who has come to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth, whose purpose is to restore everything that was lost in the creation order, and then some. That's where, we're, that's where our text is this morning. And then in Act 5, we find the story of Jesus' ascension and the subsequent outpouring of his Holy Spirit on his church. Please hear this. For one purpose, the ongoing advancement of his kingdom. In Act 6, that's the act still to come, we find the return of Christ, but we find in that return the consummation of his kingdom on earth where everything that was lost because of man's fall into sin is restored and made right in a new heavens and a new earth for all eternity that is superior than the garden in all realms a relationship with God, others, self, and creation. And so as we come to the text this morning, this is the context. This is the context in the story. You might not tune into the miniseries tonight, but as you tune into the text now, in, in Matthew 16, we enter the greatest story ever told at a very interesting time. This particular story of Jesus' conversation with his disciples takes place in what we're calling Act 4, which is toward the end of Jesus' life and ministry. And here I just simply want you to see two things. There's so much we could draw out of this, especially with the the recent appointment of the Pope, but I'm going to resist my professorial leanings at this time. Jesus is teaching them here his bigger role in the story so that they might know more fully their role. He's teaching them two things about himself. Number one, in verses 13 through 15, he's teaching them who he really is. What is his character in this story? It is so central, and they don't really understand it yet. And number two, he is teaching them what he is going to do in the next act of which you are a part. Now in verse 13, we read that Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi after a very active time of ministry, performing many miracles and large crowds gathering around him. Jesus takes his disciples away from the crowds to a somewhat remote area in the far remote, distant, northeast part of Palestine. First, to help them better understand who he is. He did this by asking his disciples a question, which he often would do to teach them a lesson. He was a great teacher. He taught often by asking, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, by Son of Man, not referring to the Son of Man of Daniel's apocalyptic scene, but he is basically saying, who do people say that this Jesus is, this Son of Mary, this man? He said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
Now, all these names are considered prophets of Israel. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now, what we must grasp is a greater and a higher view of who Jesus is as a character in this story. Even those who had been with him and seen the miracles of God working through him had relegated him to a prophet and a worker of signs and wonders. And Jesus is now revealing to them the unbelievable character that he is in this plot. And to understand what he means, Peter, by the work of God in his mind and heart, what he means by the Christ of God, the Messiah of God, you must understand the biblical and the cultural context here. It's critical. Christ, Christos, the Greek term, it's not a name. This is not Jesus' last name. It is a title. It's, it's, uh, the, the, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Anointed one. I am Christ. I am anointed. I am Messiah. Now, you know what this meant to them? It meant that Jesus was saying, I am the long-awaited and expected warrior, king for Israel, whom you have been looking for to come and set you free from Rome's political oppression and to set up the kingdom of God on earth where you would rule and reign over all of the world that now rules and reigns over you. But they soon learned that the nature of the kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating was not political but spiritual. And the enemies that Jesus came to engage in battle were not political enemies, but they were spiritual enemies. You see, they soon understood that the good news of the kingdom was that in order to rescue us, but not just us, in order to rescue this runaway planet that is now under the dominion of evil, God himself took on a human nature and entered our story as one of us. And as our anointed, as our Christ, as our warrior king, men and women, he did amazing valiant, personal battle for you against all of your spiritual enemies. In Colossians 2, we read, he disarmed the powers and authorities and triumphed over them by the cross. He too, like Adam, was enticed by the great villain Satan, but he was not defeated. That's the good news. He lived the life we should have lived, earning for us a perfect righteousness. And then this perfect king died the death we deserve to die in our place for our sin. Then God raised him from the dead and has now seated him at the throne of heaven. And now this anointed king, as we are here in this room, in this sanctuary, he is presently 
ruling and reigning over all the enemies that have defeated us and hold us in bondage. Right now, he is in the process of making all things new. Men and women, there is an unseen dimension of this world that is actually more real than what is seen. And in this dimension, Jesus is ruling over all things, making his invisible kingdom visible and restoring what was lost in creation. This is why the Christian hope, I often get run out of town when I say this, the Christian hope, we must understand, is not merely that one day when you die, you will go to heaven to be with Jesus and to worship him forever. But that one day, Jesus is coming back and he will bring heaven down to earth and you will not be a disembodied spirit forever. You will worship and work and you will love your work in a new heavens, in a new earth, and bring glory to him forever. But before that act in the divine drama could take place, Jesus wanted to know, wanted his disciples to know, what he was going to do to make that a reality. Now this brings it down to where we live and relates it to the mission that is before us. We could talk about a lot of things in this text, but I simply want you to notice that Peter makes the confession of Jesus as a Christ, and Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, here are the key words, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In these words, we find the answer to the very important question, how has God chosen to advance his kingdom, the rule and reign of Christ on earth today? The answer, the church. To bring it really home, one of the answers, McLean Presbyterian Church. You see, in the beginning, God carried out his purposes in history through individuals. And then through an individual named Abraham. And then through his family. And through Abraham, a nation of all the nations called Israel. But we learn from this text today that God has chosen the church to be his primary instrument for advancing his kingdom purposes today. Let me encourage you. I couldn't believe it when I arrived and saw the bulletin. Let me encourage you to take this out. And I don't know who wrote this, but they are my best friend now. It's almost like the sermon has been written for you. Notice, God has uniquely chosen the church to bring his spiritual and physical shalom, wholeness, completeness, rest and fullness to the world. Notice the second paragraph. The church is now God's primary means of reaching and serving the whole person, the community, and the culture. This is why church planting is the most effective means of reaching unbelievers with the gospel and discipling them in the faith. Therefore, talk about thrilling my heart, church planting is central to the advancement of the gospel and the transformation of Metro D.C. region. And even though you're Presbyterians, and the people said, that's pretty good for Presbyterians. 
Now, the book of Acts is largely devoted to the advancement of God's kingdom. Throughout the world, through starting these small assemblies called churches. I mean, when Paul would, you can look at the back of your Bibles and see the maps. Whenever he would preach, he would go and he'd preach the good news to the city. He'd win disciples. And Paul and Barnabas would appoint elders for them in each church. You see, Paul saw the new churches. Don't miss this. As you think of your church. Paul saw the new churches that he planted throughout the world. It's the way I want to encourage you to see your future church plants and the plants of your plants and the granddaughter plants and the great-granddaughter plants as kingdom outposts through which the spreading flame of the gospel in word and deed is being released to make God's invisible kingdom visible not only over human hearts in drawing them to Christ from the gradle to the grave, but also every other sphere of life. This is why the church has been called the hope of the world. This is why the church is the only institution designed and ordained by God for the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of neighborhoods, of towns, of cities, of states, of nations, of the world. There is no other institution like it. I refer you to the text of your bulletin. Organizations are all all over our area are doing an amazing job of meeting the specialized needs of their clients. However, the book of Acts makes a powerful case that the church is a unique body which through the Holy Spirit brings God back to the center of our lives our community, and culture. In other words, begins restoring what was lost in creation. Not only in people's relationship with God, but with each other, with themselves, and with all of the world. Let me tell you, from a global perspective, spiritual darkness, cultural and societal decay are reaching unprecedented levels today. This is not overstatement when I say this to you. From a national perspective, the United States is in an unprecedented, advanced state of decline. And I do not mean merely spiritually. It is economic, it is social, it is moral, it is political. And there are about 200 million non-church people in America, making America now one of the four largest unchurched nations of the world. Each year, Approximately 3,500 churches closed their doors permanently. Today, of the approximate 350,000 churches in America, four out of five are either plateaued or declining. But I have good news for you. I come to bring good news to you. And that we know the final chapter. That a day is coming, hear this, a day is coming, we live in this weird time between the resurrection and the consummation of all things, but a day is coming when Jesus will return, not only to judge all nations, but to make all things new, bringing an end to injustice, restoring all things to God's original intent. God will reclaim this world and he will rule forever. 
the earth's groaning will cease and God will dwell with us here. Not in heaven with harps and disembodied spirits forever. The good news is that our hope is not that one day we'll die and go to heaven and worship Jesus forever. No, our hope is that one day Jesus will return and he will bring heaven down to earth and he will make all things new and he will restore everything that was lost in the created order and even more. We will go from a garden to a city on earth. You will see me there. Come up and pinch my cheek and say, I remember when you told me this would be like this. And on that day, you can go right over here and read it. It's amazing. We will beat swords into tools for cultivating the earth. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. There will be no more death. And God will wipe away all our tears. It will be ultimate happiness, ultimate wholeness in your relationship with God. It will be perfect. Your relationship with others, your relationship with yourself, it's even psychological and emotional brokenness, will all be gone. And creation will be whole. All will flourish as God intends. Can you see that vision? Can you? If you can... I want you to know something. The story of God is still being written. I said to the pastors and the leaders in in Presbytery yesterday, I want you just like popcorn to begin to share. What would it look like if tomorrow morning you woke up and God's will in your city and community was done as it is in heaven? God's invisible kingdom was made visible. Tell me what it would look like. And I've done this with with African-American church planters in the heart of Kansas City. They pop up and they say, no more fatherless children. No more drug addicts. No more. And they begin to catch a vision of what it would look like if their community experienced the invisible kingdom made visible through the gospel of the kingdom in word and deed. Men and women... The story of God is still being written. It is central to all of history. The late Professor Harvey Kahn was fond of saying, the church is not something to which you go. The church is a people who go. With so many chapters having already been written, with the final chapter already firmly in place. God now has a call on your life individually and on your church corporately to continue this story, to write yourselves and to write your church, to inscribe yourself and your church into this biblical story. Why? Because God has called us to share his gospel and to make disciples. Moreover, MPC has been blessed 
with a unique and effective church model in addition to an excess of gifts and resources that God can use for the advancement of his kingdom. Therefore, MPC has a passion for and experience in church planting, a commitment to leadership development, teaching and music gifts, an infrastructure capable of being expendable, and a long-term vision. Please hear this. A long-term vision for seeing the invisible kingdom made visible in this area through the church with the ministry of the gospel in word and deed through the church that is Christ-centered through the church that is being planted by the Christ. Through the church that offers good news to the lost, that they can have not only forgiveness, but the perfect record of Christ, the law keeper, counted to them through faith. Good news for the found, for believers, that was read in scripture today. That you can have a new nature, you can have a new heart by the Holy Spirit. But it's more than good news for the lost and good news for the found. It's good news for the community. It's good news that there's a new world coming. And the church that is being multiplied in this region, turning this region into ascending region for the nations of the world, is merely like a movie trailer. It's a foretaste where the darkness of society is pushed back by the light of the gospel in word and deed, where the crookedness and injustice are made straight, through these multiplying churches with the gospel of the kingdom? God's kingdom is coming. God's will is being done. And God is being glorified. McLean Presbyterian Church, make this your obsession. Not a compartment of your church and mission. Your obsession is not church planting. Please don't make that mistake. Your obsession is to see God glorified, to see his name hallowed through this area. And the way God has chosen to have his name hallowed is by making his invisible kingdom visible over every sphere of life, including human hearts. And get this, the way God has chosen to make his invisible kingdom primarily is through the church. As Christ brings good news to the lost, good news to the found, and good news to the community that there's a new world coming. So do so, relying on his promise. Jesus, the church planter, said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would protect us even now from the evil ones snatching from our minds and hearts the truths that your spirit, the spirit of your Son, has communicated to us about your purpose for our lives.
Father, we pray that you would give to us the gifts of repentance for wasting our lives. And with the breath and the life that we have remaining individually and the time that this church still has on earth, we pray that you would be honored, that your name would be glorified, that your kingdom would come through starting, growing, and multiplying Christ-centered, gospel-centered churches that bring good news to the lost, good news for the found, and good news for the world. To the name and for the fame of Christ, we ask this. Amen.